Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 221, recorded November 7th, 2015. So last week we did some DC Comics Volume 1, and today we get to continue that up with issues 22 through 24. Yeah, so the first two issues are a two-parter, and then the third issue for the day is the beginning of another two-parter. Well, I assume it's two-parter. I don't know. Uh, I believe it's a two-parter. Yeah. Yes, so we may not get to that second part for a couple of weeks, but it does set up a new story. Right. And, and at it's least something. <laughs> the first half of the new story is kind of, ooh. It's okay, but it's kind of like, ooh. So, right, and it's written by one of my favorite Star Trek uh, authors, Diane DeWayne, so it's, uh, yeah. it's different. It's different. It's trying to go for some humor, and there are occasional flashes of humor that actually work, and a lot of it doesn't. <laughs> but at least it looks a little bit more interesting towards the end of the issue. But we'll talk more about that later. Right. Yeah, first we need to talk about 22. Right. Which... Uh, I said this a couple of weeks ago. This character that comes back up is prolific. I'll give him that. I thought that, uh, well, we'll talk about it in a minute. Yeah, he, he does come I personally was surprised that this particular villain came back up yet again. Right, right. But he's a good villain. It's just, right. he just has to be handled well. And I think they did a pretty good job here. I, yeah, but uh, the second issue... <laughs> It gets a little ridiculous, a little if, if I may say that ahead of time. But All right, well, let's go ahead and find out what happens on the first issue first. Good. All right, so this came out January of 1986. It's called Wolf on the Prowl. Uh, it is written by Tony Isabella, artist by Tom Sutton and Ricardo Villagrin, letters by Amos Lai. Colorist, M. Wolfman, and editor is Robert Greenberger. So I think this might be Robert Greenberger's first foray into editing these, which, as we know, he, he sticks around for a very long time. So the cover shows a landing party consisting of Kirk, Chekhov, a somewhat punk version of Ahura, because their hair is all sticking up, and McCoy. And they're standing on a rocky planet with the Excelsior above them. And then above all of that, we see a woman's face with her arms outstretched, reaching for the reader. And the caption reads, Kirk's crew is possessed by the spirit of Jack the Ripper. So the story starts with Kirk on the bridge of the Excelsior receiving orders to visit a recently first contacted planet that has some ancient depictions of a Taz-era Kirk in its temple. The planet seems to have a flipped religion where they worship an evil god. The hero in these ancient texts is actually referred to as James T. Kirk. Kirk assures the Admiral that he knows nothing of these people, but he agrees to investigate. 
While this is all happening, we are treated to some glimpses of a crewman being murdered by an unknown assailant with a knife. Lovebirds Conum and Bryce find the killed crewman and written words in blood that say Red Jack. Later, in a briefing room, Kirk and Scotty retell the events of the original series episode, Wolf in the Fold. We learn that a young, mustached Scotty killed a woman while possessed by Red Jack, a.k.a. Jack the Ripper. Scotty's mustache vanishes towards the end of this retelling, as Spock and Kirk are able to clear his name and capture Red Jack by sedating a human in which Red Jack was possessing at the time and they beam Red Jack's atoms in a disbursement field out into space. The crew then speculate that this obviously did not kill Red Jack, as originally hoped. Kirk is suddenly contacted about more murders within the ship. Kirk arrives at the site of the new murders to see another message written in blood. This one reads, Look for the tape. They also find a severely injured Conum, who is too injured to say who the killer is. They find the audio tape of Red Jack, taunting all of the crew by name and telling them in gruesome details how he's going to kill them all. Later, Kirk visits the coffins of the slain crewmen alone. He quietly tells them that they will not be forgotten. Later, they arrive at the planet and are getting ready to beam down. Lieutenant Bryce appears late, and Kirk chastises her for it. She says that she was in sickbay to check on Conum before she left. With that, they all beam down. Meanwhile, in sickbay, Bearclaw arrives to see several more people killed within sickbay. Again, there's blood on the wall. This time it reads, One more to go. Bearclaw reports his findings to security, but before they arrive, Conum falls out of a nearby closet. Bearclaw assumes the Klingon did all of this and is about to fire his phaser into the man's face. Meanwhile on the planet, the crew beam down and all heck breaks loose. The people are seeing Kirk, who they recognize from the temple paintings, as the good god that will battle with their evil one. They're able to catch one of the fleeing aliens who does not really give them any information. Suddenly, they hear a screech from Chekhov nearby. Meanwhile on the ship, Conum is passing out due to the pain, but he's able to tell Bearclaw that the one who is doing this is Bryce. Back on the planet, Kirk arrives to see Bryce with a knife dripping with Chekhov's blood. Red Jack, speaking through Bryce, tells Kirk that he has arrived just in time to see his friend die. To be continued. Chekhov? No! Not Chekhov! Yeah, he... That's a pretty long knife, too. And pretty bloody. Yeah. Now, there's, there's like a lot of blood on this one. But you'll see in the next issue, for those that have the comic, it's a lot cleaner in the, the start knife? of the next issue. Yes, the knife. Ah. Anyway, so, yeah, Rejack, our old buddy Rejack, <laughs> feeding another incorporeal being that feeds off of the emotions, specifically the fear of other races. Right. I liked it. I was surprised. I, I really liked this issue. I thought it was a good mystery as far as who was the killer. I mean, because, you know, 
that was the whole point of the first movie or the first episode. You know, is Scotty really doing the killings or you find out later that he was being possessed? But, you know, I think this this story did a pretty good job of keeping Bryce's identity as being the possessed one secret throughout the whole thing. Right. It was good. Now, something I want to know about is if you look at the first issue or the first page of the issue, it mm-hmm. shows kind of a, a, a blue lady's hand and face and silvery hair. And you only see part of her on the opening uh, title page. It's a female, but still blue and stuff. And then later, the people that actually find the writing on the wall of Red Jack is Bryce and Conum. Mm-hmm. So... Okay, so all the murders from that point forward that happen after that are definitely Bryce. But this first murder, where Bryce and Conum actually find the word Red Jack written in blood, I guess, on the wall. Right. Did Bryce do that murder, too? I'm assuming. I, I thought she did. I just kind of thought that, you know, she killed him. And then later, Bryce and Conum find the body. Because it, it doesn't say that it just happened when they show up. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah, I mean, uh, the the image on the first page, if that is supposed to actually be a person and not just a spirit. spirit. Yeah, that's a good point. Because this person has long white hair, and yeah. Bryce obviously doesn't. Yeah, it does not look like Bryce. <laughs> he does not look like a human, unless maybe the human is Storm, X-Men Storm or something. <laughs> right. Um, That's funny that you mentioned Storm, because to me, Ahura on the cover looked like Storm. <laughs> I mean, the Halle Berry little... version? No, I was thinking more of the, the 80s punk version. Oh, because her hair is like standing straight up. Right. That's I mean, huh? Interesting. And of course, they show an image of a lady's head, and then claws and stuff, right? Um, on the cover, which is kind of an interesting choice too. Which is also uh, not Bryce. Exactly. Although it looks closer to Bryce than the person we see partially on the uh, title page inside the comic. Anyway, yeah, whatever. I'll be honest. I didn't notice the face when uh, when I was reading it, or at least. When I was going back and rereading it to do the synopsis, mm-hmm. I somehow missed it because I just knew that it was Bryce. And, and in fact, I was actually made a note that I liked the beginning with just showing the hand and the, the killer POV type shot of the killing. And it reminded me of Friday the 13th. You know, the whole time you watch Friday the 13th, all you see is the hand killing people. Right. And then the big reveal at the end is, oh, my goodness, it was, you know, Betsy Palmer, this nice old lady is mm-hmm. doing all these killings. Yeah. And I kind of was like, what, I, I like an old lady did that. Oh my well, gosh, I never saw that. Be- oh, you ruined it for me. Oh, I ruined it. Sorry. No, I've seen it. But you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. I mean, I, and I was thinking, oh, that was kind of a cool Friday the Thirteenth vibe. You know, right. on the last panel, you find out that the killer's been Bryce, this 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 young girl. But you're right. The very first panel gave it, it ruins that. Uh, Ruins that to a degree because it actually shows the, the face or the side of the face. Right. I'm going to ignore that that little panel. <laughs> and go with my original uh, visioning for this. Exactly. Well, something that definitely struck me is how many new characters we end up seeing in this comic. 
Lieutenant Corwin. Uh, if he was on a previous issue, I don't remember him. He's the uh, security gentleman, right? No. Richardson is the security gentleman. Okay. So there's a Lieutenant Corwin that at the beginning looks like the AV guy at high school that, uh, that <laughs> that's setting up the uh, AV equipment. So he's the guy that has the tape of uh, what happened to Scotty and everybody the first time they came into contact with Red Shack. Which, by the way, very funny about Scotty having the mustache and stuff in the first panel. Right. I wonder why they did that. I don't know. Were they trying to try to link it between current Scotty with the mustache and original Scotty? Oh, I think they I don't know. probably made a mistake and then didn't go back and fix it. Uh, anyway, but it, it, it's kind of jarring. But back to this. So we've got Lieutenant Corwin, who is just like the AV guy. He's just handling the tapes. And right. then we got security guy Richardson, which is like, I'm not sure if Richardson might have popped up before or not, but uh, he, I didn't remember him exactly. So I was, I was counting him as a new one. And uh, Dr. Geller, Dr. Geller okay, yeah. the attractive blonde doctor in sickbay who appears to be all business. It's like, who are all these people? It's like, ooh, you know, somebody's got to die to, right. to show this is a serious thing. So I was thinking they were all going to die at one point or another. So I don't want to ruin anything. But uh, I wasn't right about that. I was just struck by how many new important bridge characters kind of that were popping up. Right. Well, that's one of the complaints I had as far as what happens in sickbay. We, we know that Dr. Geller is one of the three people that Bearclaw stumbles on. But who are the other two people? I mean, sickbay is usually not that popular with people who aren't there to be because they're sick. Uh. I don't know. Uh, I, I, know I don't think McCoy. it matters. No, no, it's not McCoy. <laughs> and it really doesn't matter. I mean, it could be a, a nurse, and it could be a, a patient. It's like, well, they don't matter, do they? They just, uh, let, let's get the numbers up a little bit to make sure they get really serious. But I think one of them was probably Nurse Chapel. Uh-huh. That's why we don't see her. Ah, uh-huh. that's terrible. <laughs> so, Anyways. yeah, so the <laughs> the the painting of Kirk... Fighting the evil, the god of evil, that was pretty funny. Um, and right. I, I found it interesting how you know he's got the original Taws T-shirt kind of uh, uniform tunic, mm-hmm. and but he's got a reboot or not a reboot, um, a Star Trek the movie slash Wrath of Khan phaser, which <laughs> was wait a minute, he didn't have that phaser in the original uh, Wolf in the Fold episode. Uh, so I counted that as mistake. Um, but I, I just thought the art was weird. Right. You, you like, wanna... Oh, go ahead. I, I just, I thought it was interesting, and I was thinking to myself, how could this be? And then when they explain it, it's like, okay, well, fine. It's just Red Jack playing these games. But Right. Well, you, you want me to tell you the part that I, I couldn't figure it out? What? Is that, you know, going from back when I was a kid, I thought that the movie Kirk and the TV Kirk were two different people because they don't look alike. That, you know, they, you know, one has permed hair, one has blonde <laughs> hair. You know, uh, when I was a kid, I was like, those are two different people. So when, when I saw this and then when they beam down and everybody just kind of looks over and sees this, you know, the captain, 
And they're all like, oh, God, it's Kirk. And I'm like, how do you know? It's a different looking guy. <laughs> I mean, yes, he's like, you know, 20 years older, but they, I guess it's the hairstyle that, that yeah, threw, always threw me off when I was a kid. Just, okay. So when you were watching the reruns, because you're too young to watch the original ones, of Brady Bunch and the whole male side of the family get perms one season for no apparent reason. <laughs> were you thinking there was a whole new cast? Uh, no, because they were still all the same age. <laughs> <laughs> and same weight. And same weight. Uh, okay. Speaking so of weight... You don't think that Kirk changed, Shatner changed between the original series and, and the movie? Not much. I mean, the hair, yeah, I agree with that. But even the color of the hair. I don't know. It's, it doesn't matter. I know it's Shatner, and I love it. <laughs> I know it's the Shat. Oh, by the yeah. way, did you see the Shat showed up in the Country Music Awards uh, thing? Oh, no. What for? No good reason, quite frankly. I was at, I, I was at somebody else's place for, for dinner, and they, they had the CMAs on. And for the most part, I'm not really a country music fan, so it's like a bunch of people in hats. How entertaining. But then Shat comes on in a Stormtrooper outfit. No way. Way. <laughs> and it's like, hey, it's Shatner, and I really don't know if I care. So it was some kind of schlocky thing. Where I really for, didn't listen. Where he forgot what franchise he's from again. <laughs> <laughs> it's all part of the part Is of the this joke. not it? Oh, man. Well, you know on those, those pre- award presentation shows, they often have really lame humor. Yes. This would, it really kind of struck me like that, but whatever. <laughs> um, yes, the, I'm going to have to look that up. The never-ending Shat. Yeah, CMA, you know, Country Music Awards 2015, Shatner, maybe you'll... Maybe somebody's posted something. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm YouTube. sure it's out there. Yeah. Okay. So uh, let's see. What else? Uh, I thought it was kind of ridiculous when they were loading the tape. You know, so when Lieutenant Cor- Corwin loads the tape, it's like, I mean, didn't they have those little painted flat squares of wood that they right. used to use for storage on the and on the original tape. TV show? And the nickname was Tape. They called them Tapes? On the they TV called show? them data tapes or something like that. Did I'm, they? I think okay. that, that, that terminology was there. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. But uh, it's like we have just just – it just kind of is amazing how much we have moved beyond tapes. So n- not very good foreshadowing of the near future by the, by the people who did the TV show apparently and this book. But I just wanted to comment from a technology standpoint. I don't use tape for anything anymore except for maybe closing up a – uh, shipping box. So, <laughs> you know, you, you, you tape is so much in the rearview mirror for me. It's just amazing. Uh, we <laughs> we actually do have some VHS tapes, but they probably don't even work anymore. I mean, right. Um, let's see. I guess I'm pretty much the same way. I mean, how much do you? I mean, even even discs, CDs. I haven't touched a CD in years. Um, uh, CD, no. Now, uh, Blu-rays. DVD, I do. And Blu-ray. Yeah, I, I hardly ever do anything with uh, DVDs. But Blu-rays, sure, I use those all the time. But, right. but even that, the, the successor to tape media that was going to last forever. I mean, I remember science fiction futuristic TV shows where there was, uh, you know, it was like supposed to be hundreds of years in the future. But there was still a CD player. 
or they were using a CD as a, as a medium. Right. Uh, it's like, ooh, how futuristic. And now we're even moving behind the, beyond those. Whatever. <laughs> yep. It's all digital. It's all in the cloud. Yeah. Back to this issue. The, uh, the belly dancer from the beginning of the flashback does not look anything like the belly dancer from the actual episode. Ah, you went back and rewatched the episode. Well, yeah, because I, I've seen this episode, right? But it's been a long time. Right. And then when we did the uh, Red Jack episode of Star Trek The Next Generation uh, a few weeks back, you know, at the time I realized, oh, man, I, maybe I don't know it as well as I thought I did. So I, I did go back and rewatch it. And and she's wearing like this red frilly thing. And, and this woman is wearing yellow. So I'm just right. saying – not quite. Doesn't quite match up. She went with command. Yellow right up there with the right up there with the mustache. Just doesn't. That just doesn't seem right. Right. And what's the tunic he's wearing? Because it kind of looks like the current movie tunic. <laughs> it's like kind a cross of. between the two. Right. So when I first saw it, I was thinking, "What's the with the mustache?" And oh, nice, nice tunic he's got on. Is that supposed to be like a casual kind of thing? Casual tunic kind of thing. He's like. Not wearing his uniform, he's on shore leave or something. Right. But then I thought he was just in his normal uniform, red uniform, in the TV show. And then, the episode, yep. And then sure enough, uh, in the next uh, a few panels down, there he is back in his, uh, his red uniform. All right. Nope. Exactly. It's just all over the place. Right. I will admit that I liked seeing Spock in a Star Trek comic. You know, we got to see him in the little flashback, you know, because he's off on his own ship. Mm-hmm. I did like, you know, the two or three panels that we actually got to see Spock. And then I, and it made me miss him. I was like, oh, yeah, we are in a Star Trek original series continuity without Spock. It's kind of right. weird. It is. But, you know, that, I think Savick's doing a great job replacing. But come on. How can, you can't long term replace Spock. Right. Right. Don't even try. Or else you'll die in a transporter accident. Okay. <laughs> so it's kind of funny how Richardson keeps on getting dressed down by people. He says something about how not believing how cool Kirk is after, you know, some of his, his crew die. And they're in, like, such a dire situation. And then Chekhov is, like, snaps back at him and says, V can die once, but he'll die, you know, he can die 600 times. And it's like, oh, Chekhov, very cool, uh, very cool to say. But it's like Richardson is just like getting knocked around. Uh, later he'll get, or was it earlier? Anyway, he gets dressed down uh, from, uh, yeah, it's, it is later. It's maybe it's in the next issue, I'm not sure. But he gets dressed down by McCoy because he says, oh, boy, it really looks like Chekhov's not going to make it. Um, I guess it is in the next issue. Right. Anyway, uh, Richardson keeps on getting like snapped, thwacked in the head by the different characters. Yeah, he's the punching bag of this. This the story. He is. He is. Uh, I figured because he was a security guy, he was going to end up dying, and maybe he does because we haven't wa- read the second issue yet. But um, I was just—I I did have. I was wondering why he got out of his uh, football player outfit to go on the landing party thing. It's an away mission. You gotta. You got to wear the cool jacket. Well, you're going to go into a situation where you know there's going to be danger. I mean, why get out of your football player duds? I, mm-hmm. you know, it's like okay, fine. 
He's got the away mission outfit, but if I was going to go to a situation like that, I would want all the protection I could get. Right. Just saying. Just saying. Now I hear you. Yeah. Okay, Anything so else? last thing to say is Scotty didn't go on the away mission because he had too much personal involvement. But Bryce went, and her boyfriend was attacked and is, is near death. But she can go on the away mission. It's like... Mm-hmm. Well, it didn't yeah, add up. Scotty was actually possessed. It's a little different. And we come to find out, so was she. Anyway. We don't know that yet. I know, but personal involvement? I mean, if your boyfriend is like near death, that'd be a lot of personal involvement. Right. Maybe not as much as being uh, taken over like 20 years ago. And uh, forced to kill people, but <laughs> anyway, I just thought it, it. I just thought the excuse was lame. Nah, I hear you. But later right. we well, later we kind of find out why it's good that Scotty stayed on board. But why didn't they just say that instead of making up the lame excuse? I don't know. Whatever. That's my last comment. All right, my last comment is um, I wasn't the biggest fan of them saying that this planet is backwards because it worships a evil god or i always hate it when they when they do like you know something's inherently evil or whatever i mean because from our point of view we would see it as being evil but that doesn't necessarily mean that they they see it as evil and do they actually say oh hail the evil red jack i don't think they do am i making sense well, kinda. Um, of course, I will say in defense of the comic, if anything is evil, it's Red Jack. Sure. And um, this but is if you were in a society that that they worshipped him, would they worship him because he was evil, or because they've been conditioned to think that he's right? I don't know. I don't know what the case is, uh, and maybe they don't know either. But the only structure in the entire place, which I find difficult to believe, <laughs> is a temple to Rejak and to evil. And to um, Kirk. <laughs> I don't think it's a temple to Kirk. Uh, he just happens to be in one of their frescoes. But, uh, yeah, well, I mean, I think they were trying to get at the point that, you know, most society worship good, not evil. However, in this case, they worship evil. Not good. So I think right. that was the main thing. Now, whether they're being influenced or not, well, yes, they're probably being influenced, but you wouldn't know until you really got there. And even if you got there, how would you know? Right. Uh, what we'll see in the next issue, these people are definitely under Regex's influence. Right. All right. You want to find out what happens? Let's find out what happens. Okay. Issue 23, Wolf at the Door, Part 2. Of the story. February 1986. I think everybody's the same. Uh, yeah, everybody's, everybody's the same as far as the production crew. The cover shows the Excelsior flying at the reader, firing phasers forward. A huge green and blue ghostly bird is on top of her with its ghostly talons around the saucer section. Red text tells us Red Jack is back in part two of the story and the issue's title, Wolf at the Door. 
The story opens on the surface of Enoch 4, with the landing party staring incredulously at Bryce, who claims to have killed Chekhov with a viciously large knife in her hands. Her voice is that of Rejak. Bryce's body, inhabited by the murderous Rejak, drops Chekhov and attacks the others. Kirk tries to fire his phaser, but it's dead. Rejak claims he controls all devices on this planet, and he chooses that theirs won't work. Finally, Savik is able to sedate Bryce with a hypo of super sedative. They think they have some time to plan their next move, but almost immediately, Rejak, in the form of a huge devilish red mask, comes out of Bryce and knocks over half the landing party on its way out of the area. They use the respite for McCoy to treat Pavel and inject him with a drug called Fabrini that induces a state of suspended animation. That should keep him from dying for a time, but they need to get him back to sickbay ASAP. Kirk tries to call for a beam-out, but instead of Scotty's voice coming out of his communicator, only Rejak's taunting voice can be heard. They are attacked by Rejak's subjects multiple times. They find their phasers work on and off, but are able to repel the first attack. Rejak asserts himself and deactivates their weapons again. Hand-to-hand combat ensues with a second influx of attackers. The attackers finally withdraw, and the landing party takes refuge in the only building in sight, the Temple of Rejak. It looks something like a Mayan pyramid. Inside, they do escape their attackers for a time, but their phasers work again for a time, and they assume Rejak's powers have their limits. Too many things to control at once, and he loses control of some of them. McCoy brings Bryce out of her tranquilized state. She is back to herself, but she is racked with guilt over the people she killed on the Enterprise and now Pavel. Kirk tells her it wasn't her fault. She was completely controlled by that monster. For a time, Rejak's people are too scared to enter the god's temple, so that the landing party can look around a bit. They see hundreds of truly horrible statues of unspeakable terror in this temple of evil. Are these the forms that Rejak took over a millennia, across who knows how many galaxies? Finally, the followers of Rejak enter the temple and attack. Rejak appears in his fiery... Red Devil's Mask form. He taunts Kirk and the landing party to extract the most fear he can from the brave Starfleet team. All appears to be lost as they close ranks around McCoy and Chekhov to protect them from the horde closing in on them with spears and bladed weapons of war. A bright light emits from their location as they are transported out of the death trap and onto the ship. Once on the Excelsior, Kirk rushes Chekhov to sickbay. We find out the specially prepared scanner Savik carried monitored Rejak and beamed the information to Scotty back on the ship. With it, they learned more about Rejak, including how to track him. Scotty also learned how to adjust the shields to keep Rejak from entering the ship again, but the power drain is enormous. Rejak leaves the planet and attacks them in space. He is a much bigger red demon mask now, and batters around the Excelsior like a toy. They do not have enough power to use phasers and keep the shields up. 
Eventually, Kirk asks Scotty to create an imbalance in the matter-antimatter engines that magically creates a wormhole that Rejack follows them into. The Excelsior is able to blast itself back out of the wormhole, but Rejack cannot and is trapped in the wormhole space when the wormhole closes up at a very propitious moment. Scotty again is credited as being a miracle worker. McCoy, a miracle worker in his own right, reports the operation was a success. Chekhov will pull through. They start helping the people of Enoch Ford overcome their ghastly servitude under Rejak. Kirk has a moment with his fallen crewman and finds Bryce there mourning over the people killed by her own hand. Kirk gives her a pep talk and in the process quotes a Beatles song. The end. And isn't it handy how you can whip up those wormholes whenever you need them to take care of a nasty, evil, incorporeal being? Right. Well, this is the original, or this is, uh, you know, motion picture era wormhole. Where you could get it just due to an asteroid or something within the solar system and an imbalance in your warp core. Blah, <laughs> everything starts moving in slow motion. You know, just because they establish something in the movie right, doesn't mean you need to use it in the comic book, because I'm sorry, what a bunch of BS. Whatever. Right. And use it several times. I mean, this is not the first time we've seen them use this version of a wormhole. Yeah. But exactly... not a wormhole. They use the word wormhole, but uh, it doesn't seem to behave like a wormhole. Right. Um, and... I know there's a Deep Space Nine wormhole thing, uh, uh, you know, a, a controlled wormhole or whatever that was that lets you pass between large distances, sectors of the galaxy. Mm-hmm. But the whole thing's a wormhole. I mean, a black hole, right? That's right. what I thought. And you don't be coming back out of a, a wormhole, but what? I mean, out of a black hole, but whatever. I don't think wormholes have to be part of a black hole. I thought it did. But it's all theoretical stuff anyway, so... Right. What, I mean, black holes are a little bit more real. I think science has pretty much proven they, they do exist, even though we've never seen one, knowingly. Right. But I think wormholes are pretty much completely theoretical. Whatever. Anyway, so uh, I thought that whole thing, how they were able to uh, take care of Rejack was BS, but whatever. Right, I agree. Yeah, as soon as Rejack uh, appeared as a giant demon head above the planet, I was... <laughs> I, I'll be honest. I was a little checking out of the story. I'm like, exactly. Okay, you had me up until here. I can't really buy this. Yeah. But well, saying that, saying that, mm-hmm. you know, being the 12 year old boy when this comic book came out, mm-hmm. I would have eaten it up. I've been like, oh my goodness, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. I'm probably too far away from that 12 year old boy to fully channel that excitement but yes i think you're probably right right yeah and like i said when when i think back on this series it's things like this you know where they do you know actually having something as a physical presence attacking the uh, excelsior the enterprise that i recall i remember you know you know the you know like genies or something coming out and attacking ship itself while they look somewhat humanoid uh, and there will be some stuff later on with, with the devil uh, in some later issues that I 
really recall. I ain't liking at the time, but I'm worried I'm really not going to like it this time. Yeah. <laughs> well, I definitely didn't like it in that what, Who Mourns for Adonis? Taz episode. With the green hand? With the big hand <laughs> holding onto the ship. Oh, God, I hated that. That was horrible. And so that was, yeah, and then that's the, that's another example of this kind of thing. Uh, right. Directly threatening a huge ship. Oh, God. Anyway. Right. So like I said, as a kid, I loved it. And as an adult, I'm like, eh, I gotta, I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to give up on you, Star Trek, but. <laughs> <laughs> These aren't packing the punch that some of the other stories do. No. Yeah, so Big Red Halloween Mask, Red Jack, yeah. Um, the whole idea of Red Jack, like, having to hitch a ride on people's bodies to actually do something, mm-hmm. which is what they did in the original Taws episode, you right. know, that was cool. That was cool, it made sense. In this comic, they're, like, giving Red Jack all these powers. I mean, he doesn't need to be in bodies anymore. He can, and he's, he, he's huge if he wants to be huge. Uh, and he can reach out across space and make up transmissions that baited uh, the Excelsior here in the first place. It's like, oh my god, they're just doing all this garbage giving Regiac far more powers than he ever had um, in the Taws episode. Right. Which, was, which was enough, that was enough of a stretch as it was. Body hopping? Yeah, that's um, pretty major. But all the stuff they're doing here, it's like, ah! No, sorry. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of Talosians, especially when they were doing the whole phaser thing. Oh, I think the phaser might have actually still been working. You know, you know, oh, they didn't right. actually say that, but it kind of felt mm. like that's where they were going. Um, yeah, and I was like, well, you're mixing your your bad guys up here, guys. Uh, yeah, that's a good point about the phasers. I mean, I didn't even my brain didn't even go there. I thought that just magically. Another of the wonderful things that Regac, the new and improved Regac, can do now is can manipulate uh, their devices. Right. And it's like, wow, if you can go ahead and turn phasers on and off at, at your whim, couldn't you turn off the uh, Excelsior engines or something? It's like, I, yeah, whatever. Right. Yeah, where, where's your limit? Right. And by the way, I did in the synopsis write down Enterprise more than once. It's like, no, 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 not Enterprise. Excelsior. <laughs> right. So, anyway, not, not, not amazing. I didn't, not crazy about that. Fabrini drugs. Fabrini drugs. Uh, now, by the way, McCoy said, if I was a backwards human from 200 years ago, basically, I'd call this suspended animation. So, in, but, uh, indi- oh, sh- indicating that it isn't suspended animation. But it still has some of the benefits of suspended animation, like to keep you from dying. So it's magically. Like, okay. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Why don't they use that every time? Like, you know, when those poor guys get hit with the poisonous darts and things like that. Hey, there you go. Well, no, 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 no. We got we to kill never, off some red shirts. A red on. shirt would never have to die again. Just, there you go. Fibrini drug. They should have that put into their football guy armor. <laughs> yeah, as soon as it realizes trauma, it just gives you a little injection automatically. Yeah, and then you go, eh. Right, or in, within a fake tooth or something. <laughs> there you go. Exactly, rather than the ars- uh, arsenic. or Is it arsenic or cyanide? Cyanide, that's it, sorry. Yeah, arsenic wouldn't kill you right away. 
Uh, not immediately, but it is a poison, yes. Uh, yeah. So I did feel bad for all the poor people that lived on that planet that, you know, due to the centuries or whatever, have worshipped this deity and then the deity just uses them for fuel so that he can make a big red head above their planet and mm-hmm. kill them all. Mm-hmm. It's sad. Yeah, it I is. I mean, they didn't deserve that. They they were just living their lives. Right. And they, they had families and dogs and kids. Right. They didn't appear to be very advanced. Um, and here comes Rejak to take over their world. Mm, not good. Good point. Yeah, so how long had Rejak been there? Because it kind of seemed like it should have been longer than 30 years or whatever it is between Wolf in the Fold and this story. I don't know. Oh, but well, it, well but it, I'm going off of the transmission that they got from the Admiral that gave him the assignment. Was that actual real? Well, no. I mean, well, he took over the people. He took over the planet. But that whole thing where they're showing Kirk, you know, as the, you know, as the big hero and stuff, I thought that all that was made up. Unless, of course, Rejack told him that. Right. As part of his manipulation of the, of the population. I don't know. Right. But the main thing is, he couldn't have been there any longer than, unless that's another one of his amazing powers. Right. Time, time, time dilation or whatever. Right. But um, he couldn't have been there any more than 30 years or whatever it was between the two, the two right. time periods. Um, 20 years, whatever. He couldn't have been. But quite frankly, let's go back to what Rejak is. I thought in the Taz episode, the original one, Wolf on the Phone, mm-hmm. that Rejak was an incorporeal being that fed off of fear, but that he was native to Earth. And, that, and they repeat this uh, when they were doing the uh, summary of what happened in Wolf on the Fold in this comic. That when man moved into space, so did Rajak. So that's what I thought Rajak was. Something that was coming from Earth and going out with man into the stars. But they're talking about all of these um, hundreds of statues inside of of Rajak's temple. Showing all these horrible forms from one or more millennia across... Multiple galaxies, and it's like, wait a minute. I thought Rejak was from Earth, and yeah, he could have been around for several millennia, but again, I thought he was from Earth, right? So yeah. I'm getting totally confused at the nature of Rejak. So, truly, did Rejak come from the stars and somehow ended up on Earth and stayed there a long time, just feeding off of fear uh, of, of humans? I don't know. I'm a little confused. It is confusing. Right. Yeah, so. no, I, I was, re- yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I couldn't understand how he'd gone back in time and uh, created a society before he should have existed. Right. So, no, I'm with you. I, there's no definition as far as where his powers, where the limit of his powers are and, and where his true origins are. Right. So, not crazy about that. And if we go off of the uh, Wildstorm comic where the Enterprise D encounters Red Jack, Mm -hmm. do do you remember any type of special origin there? Or did they say that he came from the disbursement field uh, that that Kirk did at the end of that episode? 
to be quite frank, I do not remember that. Yeah, I don't remember that either. It they just, he it, was just there. It wasn't a particularly memorable <laughs> comic, actually. But uh, I don't remember them doing a special origin story. Yeah, that was another one where they were giving him a body. Remember they yes. he created a holodeck version of – Right. But in, in that one, he was a whole bunch of different – he was an amalgam of different uh, creatures that supposedly yes. he came, you know, he had been before. Right. So there was like a tentacle monster and Jack the Ripper and – so even in that one, they're implying that he came from somewhere other than Earth right. at some point. Mm-hmm. Good point. Now this, good. now this whole thing about this evil thing that would inhabit people and then murder, as I'm reading that, it just completely reminds me of – the Dexter books. The, so, dark, the Dark Passenger? Exactly. So you've read the books as opposed to the t- watch the TV show? Because it's handled differently. The, yeah, I read the first one and half the second one, and then I, I quit reading for whatever reason. Okay. But the main point there is, in the TV show, The Dark pa- Passenger is kind of like something that's in his head. It's like, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just a, it's, it's a manufactured thing of himself, at least – or his own mental, mentally deranged processes to some degree. It isn't an actual being, but in the books, it is an actual being. So in the books, it theorizes that many mass murderers, people that are uh, humans that have done horrible, uh, despicable things, have actually merged with an actual entity, a second entity, which is evil. And influence them. So, but you never get that from the TV show. No. Um, so, I, actually, I kind of like that in the books. But I, I can kind of understand why they didn't do that in t- the TV show. But the main point is, Rejak is kind of like the Dark Passenger. Jumping into bodies. Up until this issue. Well, yeah, it, the original one, I guess I would right. say. Right, agreed. Anyway. So phasers, they didn't have enough power for phasers because they had to keep the shields up to keep them out of the ship. Right. So how much power do photon torpedoes take? <laughs> we got to open up the, the torpedo tubes. You have to do that. Shove them out. And I have the impression that photon torpedoes have their own independent means of propulsion. I wouldn't think so. And they've got their own payload on board, and they've got to have basically their own you know, their own propulsion and and power source. So it's like, you could have done that, couldn't you, Kirk? Oh, let's forget about photon torpedoes. But anyway, but who cares? Yeah, exactly. we got a wormhole to do. Well, okay. And and again, do you it's supposed to be an incorporeal being. So what's a photon torpedo going to do to it anyway? But then again, if it's an incorporeal being, would gravity have any effect on it? Uh, the gravity from the wormhole, so it couldn't get out. It's like, you know, this whole thing, how things could be incorporeal, but then again, affect the physical universe is something that really bugs me a lot. And they do that constantly in American Horror Story. Uh, Yes, I went there. I jumped (laughs) the tracks and went there. So, um, I I, I don't know. I, you know, you can't have it both ways. You can't be passing through walls, appearing, disappearing, and be able to kill people. Uh, ah. Yes, you can. Uh, no, 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 no. 
<laughs> right, that's my opinion. That's funny. Well, if uh, Holodex can do it, then so can. Well, that's another ghosts. thing I don't buy. I mean, they're supposed to be photon constructions. I mean, I know. It, you know, I, I'm purposely riling you up because I know that's uh, one of your hot your hot topics. Yeah, it's not photons if they're interacting with you. Anyway, whatever. Um, another thing that was kind of interesting is, and you, you may know about this and can clear this up with a snap. I did not look it up, although I wanted to. So Kirk says the ship before the Enterprise that he was on was the Saladin. Never heard that before. Never before me. I, I know he was on the Farragut. Right. But he says very clearly when he's talking to Bryce back when I was on the Saladin before the Enterprise. So it's like, Saladin? It's like, huh? Okay, so you don't know about it either. No, that was the first time I heard of it. Okay. So that kind of caught me off guard. Right. So you know, maybe that has some basis and some reference that makes sense. Because I, I mean, could you see, you know, the author just pulling that out of their orifice? It's like, uh, yeah, sure. Tony, Tony Isabella. Hmm. No, nobody's going to fact check him. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the, but plus, there's nothing that says that it didn't happen. You know, that, that's no, the that's whole true. thing. That's we true. know of one posting he had before the Enterprise, but, you know, he's not fresh out of the Academy, so. No, no. no <laughs> he he could have had other postings. He could have had other postings, but why even. Well, whatever. That's fine. Yeah, so, no, I'm with you. I, I, but it didn't bother me. Right. So one thing that I hope comes back, and I hope they didn't just whitewash it at the end of this, these last few panels, is Bryce's guilt for what happened. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope that kind of sticks with her. I mean, even though I hope she doesn't take herself, doesn't beat herself up too much, but yeah. uh, that would weigh on you. Just like if oh, somebody, yeah. you know, if you were in an automobile accident, even if it wasn't your fault, but somebody died, you oh, would of course. feel horrible. Of course. And, so, and quite frankly, I think that scene shouldn't have been with Kirk. It should have been with Scotty. Right. Because if you watch that episode, I mean, uh, Jimmy Doohan, he nails it. I mean, he is upset that yeah, yeah. he could potentially have killed these people and he doesn't remember, you know. But there's that part of him that's like, oh, what if I did, you know. And, right, right. and I, was, I was watching it going, man, he is nailing it. I right. mean, it's <laughs> You know, for the cheesy acting that, you know, you think of a lot with the stuff from the 60s, uh, this guy, I was buying it that he was really, you know, that whole not knowing if he really right. is the murderer or not. Yeah. I, I I was impressed. Yeah. So, no, good point. She could have talked to him. Yeah, well, at least it's somebody that could relate. You know, if anybody can relate, it's Scotty. Yeah, so, uh, you know, not a great two issues, but, eh, okay, fine. I thought I had a great fine. great first issue, and then I just didn't like the way they wrapped it up with yeah. the, in the the head above the planet. Right. Well. All right, anything else? Not for me. All right, so now we're going to the good one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so issue number 24, this came out March of 86, uh, the writing staff's a little different, so it's Diane Duane as the writer, uh, Tom Sutton and Ricardo Villagran as the artists, Augustin Maz as the letterer, Michelle Wolfman as the colorist, and Robert Greenberger as the editor. So the cover shows a very massive, impressive 
evil-looking insect face looming large on the view screen, informing Kirk that they will be taking over his ship now. And then you kind of see the silhouette of Kirk, and he doesn't know what to do. He's, he's in it, big time. So the story starts, it's just a lazy day aboard the Excelsior, when suddenly this uh, day is taking a turn, when a huge alien ship that's quite a bit bigger than the Excelsior, I mean, we're talking space station size, crosses their path. Suddenly the communications receives a message. It says, surrender immediately. Resistance is futile. Oh, I mean, uh, you... <laughs> I mean, useless. It says, resistance is useless. Kirk informs the alien craft, though, or Kirk is informed that even though the alien craft is much larger, it has only 10% of the power that the Excelsior has. Kirk is pleased with this, and he decides to play along with the aliens' demands uh, to stand down and surrender. Kirk asks the aliens to beam over so they can discuss terms of surrender. The crew are all very perplexed, and they even try to question his orders, but he shuts them up. When the creatures beam over, they call themselves the Agir, and they brag about their mighty empire. Uh, the creatures are displayed as being these large beetle-like creatures, all carrying these massive weapons, phasers, and whatnots. The aliens immediately march Kirk and the command crew to the brig, and they place them in a cell. Not knowing how to use the control, they follow Kirk's exact instructions, and they turn the force field only to hold a Class Six prisoner, which means that humanoids can easily pass right through. The creatures leave the brig, and Kirk passes through the cell and contacts the bridge. He contacts Lieutenant Narrett, who is the first Horta crewman, and tells them to just play along. The Horta sees this as an excuse to play dumb when the Ajira arrive on the bridge. They turn off the universal translators so that no one can understand the Ajira, and one crew member accidentally, quote-unquote, blows up his own console. The Ajir see that they need to talk to the real crew and not these underlings who don't seem to know what they're doing. So they release Kirk, and Kirk talks them into each taking a different crew member around the ship to understand the different stations. Scotty takes one to engineering and learns that the Ajir know nothing about engines. McCoy takes one to sickbay and tricks the creature into taking a psych evaluation. You know, let's start with your mother, that kind of stuff. Sulu, Bryce, Conum, Savick, and everyone else seems to take their Ajir and learn a little bit about them. And they all come to the same conclusion, that they are very stupid and that they have no idea how to make good on the threats that they keep, that they keep promising if their demands are not met. Just as Kirk is about to drop the shoe and let the captors know that they are really in no position to threaten them with anything, the massive Ajir spaceship explodes. The Ajir captain exclaims, The Grand have found us! We are all going to die! To be continued. Okay. So, it finally started getting a little more interesting on the last page. <laughs> when I just blows up for no reason? Well, obviously from an enemy attack. And somebody who might be a mat for the Excelsior. Who knows? Who knows? But at least you have some promise of something interesting happening 
So I, I wasn't that impressed with this issue. So this whole issue is about Kirk realizing that he is being threatened by a weaker opponent mm-hmm. and then just screwing with him for 20-something pages. <laughs> you know, like, how? let's just see how stupid this guy, these guys really are. Right. So at first he's uh, playing a hunch, which is supported well by the fact that they've got minimal power output from their huge vehicle. Um, right. And from what they say. So he is playing a hunch here, but at least he's got some readings to say these pri- these guys probably aren't much of a threat to the Excelsior. Right. But still, letting him on board, letting him put you in a cell, even though you know you can get back out again. Um, well, you at the time, he didn't know that the guy wouldn't know how to turn the, the... Yeah, that's what I don't understand. He gets into the cell, and then the, the Ajir is like, I don't know how to do this. Can you tell me? And then Kirk tells him. But up until then... How did he know that the guy wouldn't just set it on humanoid and then there's, you know, they're screwed? Well, not only that, it's like, why do you have these different settings on the brig in the first place? <laughs> it's like, okay, you know, maybe you got a really high setting for Gorn or something, but it's a cell. Right. It's like, why even have a setting where the people inside could just walk out? It's, yeah, and what's a class six? I have no idea. I was thinking maybe it was like a, you know, a gaseous creature of some sort that, uh, you know, could just normally pass right through and they had to have a special one to hold them in. But that doesn't even make sense. No, I'm with you. They should just have it all or nothing. Yeah, or if there is an adjustment, don't have an adjustment that basically says the prisoner can walk out. <laughs> right. It seems a little counterintuitive to what you would want with a... Uh, prison, anyway. Right. Very strange. And then, I, and then everybody's just—it just seemed mean spirited, you know. Just see how much we can needle these guys and just keep, you know, messing with them. Oh yeah, yeah. well you're you're a big big baddie, and then just keep poking <laughs> him and proving how stupid they really are. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I want to talk about one part of this issue that actually had interest for me, but it wasn't okay. necessarily in a good way. They've got a officer who's at the con while Kirk is doing all this stuff around, you know, with, with the, with these alien guys. And it's a Horda. A Horda, yeah. A Horda. Cool. I loved Hordas. So, and the idea that a Horda would actually be in Starfleet was, made sense. It's an alien race. Right. You know, whatever, Fine. But how does a Horda take the con? You know? Mm. So the artists, Tom Sutton and Ricardo Valagran, they kind of reimagined the Horda a bit so that he actually could sit in the con. And I'm not a fan. They basically made him kind – they made this Horda, who, by the way, I think is supposed to be the son of the Horda – that Spock did the mind meld with. Right. He looks like a big, rocky Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> with little uh, glowing, at least I think, glowing rectangular eyes. He looked at like least, a, a Tholian. Well, I the know. eyes, okay, so the eyes look like a Tholian. Right. But he looks rocky, not crystalline. Right, right. But yeah, yeah I, I get what you're saying. But and then, then he has like these little tentacle things the that I never saw the Horda. 
Well, okay, the original well, Horta, Horta did have like little cilia on the bottom, Yeah, right? exactly. He has some things around the fringe, but right. it's there as I recall they were rather short and like rubbery. But because <laughs> they they only had so much budget back in the old days. But uh but the tentacles here are bigger. Right. Uh and it's like, "Oh, man, this is bad. They didn't execute the drawing well at all in my opinion." Right. No, I and they have the little I guess it's a little voice box or something with the Starfleet logo. Right. Right where his mouth would be, you know, doing the talking for him. I guess. I'm assuming that's what that was supposed to be. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Although but, there is the magical universal translator, but whatever. Well, then what's the point of this big box thing? I don't know. <laughs> no, no, I agree with you that it's some kind of a voice box or something. It's just right. you shouldn't need that if you have a universal translator. But that was always a magical device anyway. Right. Well, they don't normally make noise, do they? Did the Horda make noise? I couldn't remember. They kind of squealed, right? I think so, especially when you shot them. Right. Squeal for me! Anyway. No, I, I I really was rolling my eyes that the Horda was on there. I mean, I just don't see them as being Starfleet materials. No, I don't know. I mean, I just don't see them as that's part of their ambition, you know? Their ambition is to eat rock and... <laughs> have babies. Have babies, exactly. Have baby nodules. So, so I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit uh, when he showed up, but I was like, okay, well, you know, he's a character, you know, it's a species that could potentially join, so I- I'll buy it. Um, but the things that he was saying, I thought were actually really funny, but again, I liked it, but probably not for the reason I was supposed to like it, you know, where he's, his little thing, his little sayings are, you know, uh, let's, Dig a little deeper into this, and you know, all, all kind of like, <laughs> yeah. The uh, what do you say? These guys are all tunnel and no rock, right? Exactly. Which was pretty funny. That yeah, that yeah, was kind of quite funny. a few good lines. I thought, right? You know, the kind of thing you, if you really thought about it, yeah, yeah. A hoarder might say that, yeah, yeah. Right, right. But uh, but aside from that, uh, I was not not too terribly impressed. Yeah. yeah, me neither. But it was good. I liked it. I mean, I liked his part. Uh, his his part was definitely my favorite part of this book. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, the lines and the fact he's there. But I found that the artist, art, artistical design, redesign, the reimagining of the Horda to be uh, weak. Right, because they don't have eyes. Well, and if they have eyes, they, they're not slitty, glowing things. You know, right? I did think yellow, that whatever. the the alien design, the Ajir, looked pretty cool. Yeah, not bad, not bad. Now they've got some kind of uh, face mask on or something. Right? Is that? I so, guess. I thought maybe that was just their face, but with with like goggles on. But maybe that is a whole mask. I I think it's a mask, uh, and maybe that's you know for breathing. You know, the, right? You know. Life support, but they whatever. they reminded me of something that would be in like Dark Crystal or something like that. You know, one of those big, right, puppety looking, beetle looking guys. Yeah, I thought they looked cool. I just did not like their characterization and and just how stupid they were. Yeah, reminded me a little bit of those garbage collectors in Star Trek: The Next Generation. You know how Picard kind of did the same thing with them. You know, and they're all like, we is smart. Nah. <laughs> oh, of course you're smart. You know, remember? Yeah. I don't remember the episode. I, think it was I, like I don't remember that very episode. well, but I do remember a little bit of it. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, yep. they were like radiating the planet, the universe, because their ships were leaking or something. I can't remember. Yeah. And yeah. that, again, maybe the reason for that was similar to this one. So they begin, they begin explaining it by them saying, you know, their fathers and their father's fathers, they knew how to build all these things, but we all just, like, forgot over time because we're stupid. Right. And uh, we don't know how to work things. Right. Which could be the way we're eventually going to go, you know. Well. Why do, why do I have to learn how the internet works? Because it just works. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people that say that. It's like uh, there are some older technologists that talk about, well, when I – when I got into computers, I was figuring out how to actually program them. And I was doing it in assembler and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, yeah. So you ran or you walked five miles to school through the snow. Okay, fine. <laughs> but, I mean, they're right because now it's like my sons really don't like programming. My youngest son has absolutely no interest in, in any of that. He just wants to be able to send his texts and stream his, his music. But, right. yeah, yeah. Well, uh, there are science fiction stories, the Foundation series, and there are situations in there where societies, um, to some degree, Earth society is, uh, or like a colony or something like that, it, they forgot how to really operate their nuclear power plants. So other people created them, but they lost the knowledge of, of how to run them. Right. So, yeah. So that does happen. Um, if you don't really need to know the thing, you just use it, uh, you could end up uh, losing that uh, that expertise. Right. So maybe this was this is a cautionary tale that we could become the edgier. We could. We could. And that's about the only thing positive I could say about it. Right. So I'm curious to see how it in how how it ends, how this wraps up. Yeah. At least these new guys, the Grand Protectorate, right. you know, they might actually be a worthwhile uh, adversary. Right. And they might spend the whole thing, you know, on 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 its head. Maybe these guys are just like, little kids or something in the, and they stole the dad's ship or something like that, you know? <laughs> well, maybe, maybe Grand is their dad's like, uh, I don't think so. You need to come back, son. Uh, I don't think that's what's, what's gonna, what is going to happen. You never know. I think the Grand Protectorate are just like another race that's uh, taking advantage because these guys are so dumb. <laughs> they can't protect themselves, but we'll see. All right. Anything else? No. That's really it. All right. Well, unfortunately, Ken, you are going to have to uh, wait a little while to find out what happens. I too. really want to find out. Yeah, like you can read on your own, but... Okay. Uh, as a group, we are not reading that next week. Okay, well, what are we reading, Donovan? Well, we've done DC, we've done Malibu, IDW, but we've done very little of Tokyo Pop. Ah, manga. So we're going to go back there, and uh, we're going to finish off the original series um, book called Uchu. So we had two more stories in there, the, the last two stories in the book that we haven't done. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to do the first story from the Next Generation book, and it it's called The Changeling, and it's written by uh, David, is it Goyer? Gerald. Gerald, ah, screw, what's his name? David Gerald. 
David Gerald, yes. Yeah, the guy that wrote uh, Trouble with Tribbles. Trouble with Tribbles, right. Right. And didn't he also, yeah, he wrote more Trouble with Tribbles or whatever the cartoon episode uh, was? Yeah. Is it more Trouble with Tribbles? I think something it was like something like that. He also wrote one of the first manga books that we read, which was called Bandai, Bandy, something like that, uh, where that little bear was running around the ship making oh, everybody feel <laughs> things. Yeah. So uh, Let's hope this one's better. Yeah. It's a Wesley-centered story. So right. And so this prepared. one, this one's called Bokenshin. The book's called Bokenshin, The book. Yeah. The book, yeah. So this is one of four stories from Bokenshin. Interesting right. names. Yep. Uchu. Bokenshin. And uh, the Uchu ones that we are going to read are uh, The Humanitarian and Inalienable Rights. Okay. For anybody reading along. Cool. Okay. Look, sounds sound good. All right. Well, with that, we'll uh, let everybody go so they can go find these Tokyo Pop books from their bookshelves and give them a read. Okay. Thanks for joining us, everybody. On the review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.